The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Congressman Akeem Jeffries grew up in New York and decided to pursue a law career after witnessing the Rodney King riots on television. Congressman Jeffries later threw his hat in the ring and ran for Congress. Although there were bumps along the way, he eventually became the representative for New York's 8th Congressional District. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries recalls his dramatic experience during the January 6th insurrection, how he began his career in politics, and what the future holds for himself in Congress. This episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast was recorded in February of 2021. Hey, Congressman. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, not at all. How is, uh, it's crazy that it's February, but you guys have already had, it feels like, you know, a decade's worth in the first 45 days alone. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, the the pace was intense over the last four years, and then 2020 got more intense, and then I thought, you know what? 2021 has finally arrived, and six days in, we have an insurrection. Right, right. So, you know, it, it... did you see it coming? Like, like, did you have a sense that that was going to happen either in the days leading up or even that day? Was there, I know always in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. but did you have any sense that that, that was going to happen? Well, you know, some members had raised security concerns. And whenever there's an event um, and a protest in a volatile situation, you know, there are always some issues and Trump really incites and amplifies. So, you know, the one step that we took was that we had all of, no staff work that day with one exception, the person who's always with me. Uh, but everybody else, I said, stay home because, you know, we, we knew there would be tension, but we didn't expect that, you know, it would result in a, a violent attack on the Capitol. Wow. Wow. And where were you when all that was going down? I was I was actually on the House floor at the time while the debate around Arizona uh, was being conducted and then everything stopped. And that's when, you know, so to speak, all hell broke loose. Yeah. And so what was your feeling in that moment? If you remember, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you do. But but what was your feeling in that moment? Well, you know, it was. 
it was surreal. And the first moment where you realize something was happening is that I saw the speaker being pulled by her security team from the podium with great urgency. And then Stanley Hoyer, the majority leader, and Jim Clyburn, the majority whip, were right next to where I was seated. And their security teams came up and pulled them off the floor. And I think uh, with respect to Jim Clyburn, the security detail said, Mr. Clyburn, you have to leave now. And then the sergeant at arms got up, interrupted the debate, halted it, said that protesters have breached the Capitol. They're on the second floor. They're heading toward the House chamber. Secure the gas masks that are underneath your seats. It was at that moment that I realized this was a real different situation than I've ever encountered in life because I've seen a lot growing up uh, in central Brooklyn in the middle of the crack cocaine epidemic, never have ever been asked to secure a gas mask. And that's when things just uh, began to sort of uh, become clear that we didn't know what was gonna happen. And, but everybody remained pretty calm and was supporting each other, helping each other sort of unpack the gas mask, which, you know, most of us had no idea what needed to be done in that regard. And, uh, and then just began to, you know, take direction from the Sergeant in arms as to how to proceed. And, and how many members were there? Were there 400 or 435 members? Like how packed, how packed was it? Well, because of COVID restrictions, uh, there were a limited number of people on the floor on the Democratic side and the Republican side. I'd say it was probably about 20 or 25 Democrats, 20 or 25 Republicans on in the chamber on the floor at the time. There were staff members. And then in the gallery, uh, there were another 30 to 35 uh, Democrats who were observing the proceedings. And the debate was taking place connected to Arizona because when you do certification, you go through all of the states in alphabetical order. And so the first swing state that they objected to was Arizona. And ironically, that's when everything unfolded. And, and, and where was your mindset? And I'm sorry, I hope I'm not causing any trauma and asking you to relive this. But as you said, it is such a historic thing and, and it's fresh. It's not like it was 30 years ago. Like, where was your mindset? Where was your heart? Were you fearful? Were you looking to head out of there? Were you th like, 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 where was your mind? What happens to your mind in that kind of scenario? Well, it was interesting because seated right behind me, after the announcement has been made that secure your gas mask and be prepared to hit the ground. And so we didn't know whether it was because tear gas was going to be unleashed, shots were going to be fired, blows were going to be thrown, whatever the situation was going to be. Uh, it was unclear. Seated right behind me was Colin Allred. He's a second term uh, member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Now, before Colin Allred, got to Congress, he was a civil rights lawyer. But before he was a civil rights lawyer, he played linebacker in the NFL for the Tennessee Titans for five years. Now, Carlos, if you ever find yourself in the middle of a violent insurrection, <laughs> it's a good thing to have a former NFL linebacker right behind you. And so right. Colin says to me, 
I don't know about you, Hakeem, but I'm not going out without a fight. And next thing you know, Colin's jacket came off. So I took my jacket off. And to my right, Pete Aguilar, California, his jacket came off. And right behind us, to my left, was Sean Patrick Maloney from New York. His jacket was off. And I knew that that was the right thing to do because I looked over to the far side of the chamber and Ruben Gallego from Arizona had his jacket off and he's a former Marine who served multiple tours of duty. So we were just like, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. And we thought we might have to fight for our lives. Wow, 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 wow. And so what do your Republican colleagues say now later, and I don't mean when the TV camera's around, but I assume you've got some good friends, some quiet time friends, some people you break bread with. Like, like, what do they say? What's their take on it? Like, are they saying some of their colleagues were in on it? Are they saying, you know, this was crazy? Are they saying it just is what it is? Like, like, what do they say when it's quiet time and it's you and people that you're friendly with? Well, there are some who, who recognize the insanity of it all, a few of whom actually voted to impeach President Trump, which was an act of courage in my view, uh, because of the stranglehold that the former president has on the Republican Party. Uh, there are others who probably wanted uh, to vote to impeach Donald Trump, but it was clear they feared for their safety and their political career. And so they didn't do what I believe they were privately inclined to do. And then there's a group of Republicans who have bought into Trumpism and the big lie that he actually won an election that he didn't, hook, line, and sinker. And they'll give platitudes to the notion of condemning violence wherever it comes from. Uh, but they really are proceeding in the same spirit. And it's hard for them to denounce Trump or even separate themselves from Trumpism, even though it resulted in a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol where lives were lost. And, and do you have friends who are part of that last group who actually believe that it was the big lie and believe that it was stolen? Like, do you, are, do you actually have people who you would who you would have a meal with in that crew? Because I, I really am. And I hope I'm not being dense or difficult. I, I really am honestly trying to understand, like, what do they say when it's just the two of you around? You're like, it's, no, it's just us. Like, there's nobody else. It's just us. Like, like what do they say? They, they, do they really believe it got stolen, number one? And number two, do, do they think, you know, January 6th will just happen? And that was, you know, thankfully everybody's safe and just stuff happens. Like, wh like what do they really, really say? You know, to be honest, that's not a group that uh, I really associate myself with. Uh, there were some hard right conservative Republicans that I served with on the Judiciary Committee, like Doug Collins from Georgia. He and I worked together on criminal justice reform and the First Step Act, which we got signed into law uh, by the former president. And you know, Trey Gowdy, who I served with on the Judiciary Committee, he's a fierce, tough warrior on the conservative side, but I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, and we were very friendly during the time that we served together, but they were gone. And, you know, I'm not sure how they would have voted, but I could have got some clarity from them if they were around. 
the people who I'm close with now on the Republican side, for the most part, all did the right thing. And, you know, those that I don't really have any relationships with uh, are, 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 are the ones that voted in a way that I thought was inconsistent with our constitutional responsibility. So I haven't gotten a lot of visibility and insight uh, into their thinking. And to be honest, Carlos, one of the things that's been interesting for us, and we're grappling with this as Democrats now, you know, who embrace the notion of trying to find common ground whenever and wherever possible, is how do we work with these people who provided aid and comfort to a violent insurrection? And I don't have the answer right now, but it's a question that a lot of people are asking on our side of the aisle. You know, that's so interesting that you say it that way. There was a very powerful book 20, 25 years ago called uh, I Wish to Inform You That Tomorrow My Family and I Will Be Killed. And it was written by a guy named Philip Gorovich about what happened in Rwanda, the genocide. And um, he talked not only about the genocide itself, but the other side of it and what happened in little small towns and small villages where not someone who's a mile away or five miles away, but someone who, if there's only one bar slash restaurant in a whole village and a whole area, and that's where everybody is every night, and you know that the person right next to you is a person who tried to throw you down the well and who did manage to throw your sister down the well, your father down the well, how do you handle that? Because it's not like you're in New York City or L.A. or someplace. It's one small town. And so that is an interesting question. I, I'm not trying to compare genocide to that, but I am saying that that I'm I'm hearing what you're saying about a challenge where it feels like there's a vast gulf uh, between people, but where, for whatever reason, in this case, work, you have to be next to each other on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, that'll, that'll be interesting over the next two years. No, that's right. I, I think it's something uh, that we're all trying to work through. You know, we come to Congress to get things done for the people that we're privileged to represent, in my case, back home in Brooklyn and Queens. And I've always taken the position, even with the former president, that I will work with Republicans whenever and wherever possible and oppose them when I must. And that was certainly the case with Donald Trump. We worked together on criminal justice reform, Democrats in the House and the Trump administration. We worked together on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, which was historic and protected, good-paying American jobs. And then we worked together on COVID relief, particularly in connection with the CARES Act and then the bipartisan agreement that was reached at the end of December in the final days of the president's term. But when you are pushing us close to the decline and the decay of our democracy, because it all is connected to the big lie that Donald Trump won the election when they know he did not. And there are millions of Americans who have been radicalized based on the view uh, that the election was not free and fair, the presidency was stolen, and Donald Trump should be the person who was going to be inaugurated. That was the mindset that led people to violently storm the Capitol. And Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and many members of the House of Representatives helped fan the flames of that mob mentality. And a lot of people are struggling. A lot of good-hearted Democrats are struggling with how we deal with people like that moving forward, who many of us don't even believe should serve 
next to us. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. How did you get into politics? Were you like Bill Clinton, someone where politics was always in your blood? You were always thinking about it and committed to public service. And so you eventually got the opportunity to do it. Or, or how did you end up in politics? Well, to some degree, when I was uh, a student at Binghamton University and began to get involved in activism and in my final year served on the executive board of the Black Student Union. Uh, as the political correspondent, I believe that was the title. It was the first race that I ever ran uh, and won. I don't remember the margin. I think it was close. It was a three-way race. Uh, and 
I was then on my way to graduate school to study public policy, thinking about the possibility of going to law school. And in the spring of my senior year, I remember coming home at an off-campus apartment in downtown Binghamton, turned on the TV, and L.A. was in flames. And I'm trying to figure out why is L.A. in flames? And then, of course, it was because the all-white jury had come back in the trial of four officers who had beaten brutally Rodney King, four white officers, and acquitted them all. And of course, that led to the LA uprising. And I remember thinking at that point in time and in the next few days that I wanna go to law school and I wanna practice law and I wanna use my law degree after I finish graduate school uh, to try to advance the cause of racial and social justice. And initially, Carlos, I wasn't sure what that would mean. Uh, but as a young lawyer, after practicing for a few years, decided to run for a seat in the New York State Assembly as part of my hope to be able to advocate on behalf of the people uh, that I wish to serve in those neighborhoods that have given so much to me growing up. I lost my first two races, but I learned that a knockdown is different than a knockout. And I was able to, thankfully, with the encouragement of so many uh, friends and family members and loved ones, get back up, keep moving forward. One, uh, a seat in the New York State Assembly. That third time, I'd run against a 20-year incumbent the first two times. And, um, and then the rest has been history. Man, I love that story. And I love the knockdown of, uh, versus uh, knockout. Uh, go back in time and talk to that young fella, young Hakeem, What's going to surprise him about politics? Like if you really, again, we're going to give him the real, real. And again, he's a smart guy. He's a thoughtful guy. He's driven. He wants to do this. He's not coming to it casually. So he's thinking about it. But what is still, despite all of that, what's going to surprise him? What two or three things are going to surprise him about politics, about power, about people, about any of the stuff that you've, you've been blessed to see and experience uh, over the last number of years? It's a tremendous uh, question. I think the, the one thing that, that would have surprised me that's both issue-related but says a lot about the political journey that this country has been on is that there are issues where you think there will never be agreement and that the left and the right see things differently and we're just gonna have to fight and fight and fight to turn things around, to get it done. And that struggle may be endless. And in many areas that will certainly always be the case. But I think that I would say don't ever give up or give up hope in the fight. And sometimes you'll realize that there actually is the emergence of what I now refer to as a coalition of the unusual suspects who come together on an issue that shocks the conscience of the American people. And criminal justice reform has now become that issue. A young Hakeem Jeffries growing up in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic, lock him up, throw away the key, 1994 crime bill, three strikes, you're out. 
mass incarceration, devastating our community, failed war on drugs, where there were Democrats who weren't doing the right thing, let alone Republicans. And then I arrive in Congress and all of a sudden there's the emergence of this coalition of the left and the right, progressives and conservatives, the NAACP and the Koch brothers, the ACLU and the Heritage Foundation, you know, Doug Collins, a conservative Republican from rural Georgia, and myself, a progressive Democrat from the People's Republic of Brooklyn, come together on the First Step Act to strike a devastating blow against mass incarceration and address overcriminalization. And we get the bill somehow to the president's desk and Donald Trump of all people signs it into law with the encouragement of his daughter and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. In 1992 or 1994, when everything that was happening during the tough on crime era was happening, that kind of coalition could have never been imagined. But I think what it says is don't ever abandon the power of imagination because that can lead you to places where you never thought you would be. Uh, and, you know, I, I think if we can do it on criminal justice reform, then on many of these tough issues that we think we'll never be able to agree on right now, we can find a pathway uh, to get there down the road as well. I really appreciate you saying that. I appreciate what you're saying about imagination. Who who gives you energy? Who helps you stay strong? Because uh, I assume, and don't let me project something on you that doesn't belong on you, but, but that, that even you, with all your talent, all your success, all your skill, all your opportunities, I, I got to assume that sometimes the pressure gets heavy uh, or things are disappointing or they don't go exactly the way you want them to. When you start to wobble internally, even if not externally, who or what gives you strength, gives you uh, a fresh wind, uh, gives you courage? Where do you get good stuff from? And I ask that on behalf of lots of people who are going to be watching and who may be wobbling even harder than you are and, and may need something to help us, you know, get back to center. Yeah, well, I, I'm inspired by the people that I'm privileged to represent, you know, uh, back home in Brooklyn, on the streets, in the neighborhood, in the churches, in the senior centers. Uh, what, you know, and that was that was when I was serving in the assembly and certainly during these tough times over the last four years where you would go home and it'd be a tough week and you'd be in the midst of a tough battle and reason for a lot of people. Uh, to give up hope. And it was the people at home on the ground, thank you for fighting for us. We're going to get through this, right? Whether that was standing up for President Obama during the four years where we overlapped, and it was a lot of encouragement back at home to make sure we had the back of the 44th president of the United States of America. That's my new favorite number, 44, not just because Reggie Jackson once wore it. Oh, I like Reggie, too. I didn't know you liked Reggie. I like Reggie. My dad and I, we I, I don't know if you remember that one-game playoff against the Red Sox. And, uh, yeah, no, we liked Reggie. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a great, great left-handed hitter. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And so, uh, but, and then during the Trump era, when it was really tough, I mean, but people back at home 
never gave up hope. And, you know, I grew up in the Black Baptist Church, and so I draw a lot of inspiration, uh, you know, from the, the church-going people that I spend time with on Saturday, Seventh-day Adventist churches that I visit, and on Sunday, whether it's a Baptist church, Catholic church, Methodist church, uh, AME church. But wherever I am, the sentiment is the same. You know, I don't believe he brought us this far to leave us. And I think we made it through the turbulence of the Trump years. And even though it ended violently, we, we, we made it through. And uh, if we can make it through that, uh, we can make it through anything. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
if you were ever fortunate enough to become Speaker of the House, and right now, obviously, Speaker Pelosi uh, has had a distinguished career, continues to be the Speaker, um, uh, you know, has got able lieutenants and Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, and, and Jim Clyburn, but they're all of a certain age and a certain generation, and you're of another generation. So if at some point in the future you were blessed to get to become Speaker, what would that look like? What would you want to be true? What would you want people to be able to say about the speakership of Hakeem Jeffries one day? Well, listen, I'm fortunate enough to represent the people of the 8th Congressional District and now to serve as the chairman. So I don't want to get out ahead of myself. And that's what my grandmother used to tell me and my younger brother, Hassan, never get ahead of yourself, boys. Right. Do the job that's in front of you. And the rest will take care of itself. And so, you know, I've got great respect for Speaker Pelosi. And to be honest, um, and, she, you know, I nominated her twice, had the privilege of doing that. Uh, And I've been able to learn a lot from her, learn a lot from Steny. Uh, and learn a lot from uh, Jim Clyburn, certainly legend in the civil rights movement, and of course, a legend in Congress as well. And, and we'll see what the future brings. But I just think that for as long as I'm able to serve, I want to serve with honor, integrity, authenticity, and be able to say at the end of my tenure um, that I was able to get something done and make life a little better or hopefully a lot better for the people that I'm privileged to represent. Like when I first came into Congress, Carlos, that was, I didn't know how long I would be here. You know, I said, I hope to be able to serve one day in the majority. And it was a privilege to serve alongside uh, Barack Obama, but we were in the minority. uh, And I hope to arrive at a place where we were in the majority and we've gotten to that place. But I, I, I said all along, that I just want to be able to do things to make life better for those who believed enough in me to send me to Congress. And whatever opportunities arise in the future, I want to be able to still follow that ethic of just making life better for the people that I'm privileged to serve. Um, um, Congressman, I almost call you speaker there. So I almost did uh, get ahead of you a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, l- let me do something I call rapid fire uh, with you. You all right if, uh, if we try a little rapid fire? Yeah. Your favorite athlete of all time? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Interesting. That's, that's controversial for a New Yorker, but okay. Um, your favorite book of all time? I'd say Faces at the Bottom of the Well, uh, which is a book by a law professor, Derek Bell, who was a critical race scholar uh, who thought a lot about the intersection between the law, racism, and America. And it was foundational for a lot of young black law students as we were thinking about our careers. Uh, And he was a Harvard law professor. I went to NYU and then he came to NYU and uh, and he was just an inspiration for a lot of people, including uh, Barack Obama when he was at Harvard Law School and Professor Bell taught there at the time. And, and, and Professor Bell deeply believed in a vivid imagination. And, and, uh, and so what a, what a tremendous choice. Um, for people who think they know you really well, what would surprise them to find out about you? Well, perhaps that I enjoy uh, superhero movies with my two boys, Joshua and Jeremiah. 
And, you know, particularly the Marvel trilogy, or I guess it was probably more than a trilogy, it was on and on and on. But that was a good release, both to be able to spend the time with them uh, and to, to get into uh, get into those movies. And, and perhaps connected to that, when I was young, my brother and I, along with our good friend Dave Blaine, collected comic books and spent a lot of time collecting those comic books. And we hoped one day that we would put those comic books aside, which we did probably sometime between 1985 and 1990, and said, let's let about 20 or 25 years pass and then take a look at whether we hit the jackpot. And we dusted those comic books off a few days ago. And unfortunately for us, we did not hit the jackpot. So apparently. Uh, <laughs> Which superhero are you? Which superhero are you? If, we, if this is the Hall of Justice, who are you? That, that's, that's, that, 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 that's an interesting question. I mean, yeah, I, I, I actually think that I, I like, I'm going to go with Batman. Right. Because the objective of Batman was to make Gotham City better. And I at least represent a portion of Gotham City uh, in Brooklyn and Queens. And and certainly that's what drives me. Uh, What's your karaoke song? My karaoke song would probably be so many biggie songs that I could go with. Uh, But I'd say sky's the limit. Right. Because it was it was aspirational. Now, it came off of his second album and it wasn't a commercial song, it, but it was a song that sort of tracked his journey, you know, from growing up in Clinton Hill, Bedford Stuyvesant, hustling, then starting out, you know, in the rap game and then making it to where he became an icon in life and certainly a global icon in death. But I just think it's so aspirational. And uh, he started off, you know, in, in his first album, he talked about, you know, I went from negative to positive. Sky's the Limit was sort of the, the tracking of that when he dropped his second album and had become a, a phenomenon. And it was done in a really, it was humble for a rap artist, I'll put it that way. Uh, it was just introspective and reflective. And so I appreciate that. Uh, last two questions. Uh, play sliding doors for two seconds. If you hadn't won uh, uh, election to office, what do you think you would have been doing, be doing today? I think I'd be practicing law, civil rights law, and hopefully doing some teaching. And, you know, I've enjoyed the opportunity from time to time to guest lecture and have been inspired by so many professors that I've had along the way. And I think the opportunity to teach and to be revived by a younger generation of people interested in, in giving back and making America the best that it could possibly be. I think there's no greater calling uh, than, than doing that. Um, last question, what's the best advice you've ever gotten or given about love? Well, you know, it's interesting. My same grandma, Nano is what we call the Francis, Cef- Francis Cephas, used to say, well, she would always say to my brother and I, she would tell us the story of Cain and Abel. And that was like embedded in our memory. We never fought as brothers. And that was because she told us about Cain and Abel and that your brothers, 
you to look after each other and to love each other. And I think what she was embedding into us that if you let, you know, the passions of the moment get involved, you make rash decisions and something can go wrong. You can hurt someone who you love. And, you know, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, always, always value and appreciate your family members, your loved ones. Um, and uh, don't don't let the passions of the moment overwhelm you. That was an extreme example, Cain and Abel. But don't let the passions of the moment overwhelm you into doing something that you will regret for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Congressman uh, Jeffries, what a pleasure. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's great to see you, and uh, I'm very grateful that uh, that you gave me a little bit of your time today. Thank you. Well, Carlos, thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you giving me an opportunity uh, to to share with you and, and and your many viewers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.